we we preach to uh, children. We go out to the schools, you know, a fire pre-plan. You know, one of the biggest things in a fire pre-plan is if God forbid there's a fire in the middle of the night, is every one of the family members going to go to one central location to meet? Here for Franklin Mattis, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial 102.9, here today for another Making Sense of Climate session with my climate guide, Ted McIntyre. Ted, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing doing great, Steve. A little hot and sweaty, but I'm doing great. Yeah, we're trying to stay cool, and we have a special guest in that arena so we can talk about some of these the headlines that have been around us with a lot of the environmental challenges whether it's fires and smoke and rain chief mclaughlin welcome thank you steve nice to be here with you like i said you always have timely recordings every time i meet up with you something's going on they being no exception at all <laughs> you're very good when you set these up well, in, in one of the things, clearly people know you as our fire chief, but you wear a different hat as well. So explain a little bit your role as an emergency management lead for the town. Right. So I am the emergency management director for the town of Franklin. Um, that's part of the job title. as well, That comes with the fire chief title here in Franklin. A lot of towns and cities are, um, have, all towns and cities have an EDM, um, but uh, some cities have uh, the police chief may be the emergency management director. Some it might be the uh, highway director, DPW director, or the deputy town administrator. Right. I would say the majority of the cities and towns in Massachusetts, though, the fire chief does wear uh, that second hat uh, with the duty. Um, a lot of what we do uh, coincides with emergency management. There's a lot of overlap there. So it seems to make sense. And I'm glad that that's the case here because I'm really interested in it and uh, I really enjoy doing it. So. Yeah, and I think from my perspective, and certainly we've had a couple of conversations in this regard, and it really kind of bleeds literally into different areas when we start talking about, well, what is your emergency response? Uh, because you at 911, it's generally between you and police, but if it's anything in the health-related or more and more, even in the climate stuff, which is what we're going to get into, you're still on the front line to that response. Right, exactly. And I know I, you know, I serve as that focal point, but, you know, we do have the staff here with the deputy chiefs and battalions that do help out in that regard, too. So we do, it's not a one person show by any means. And uh, really, the, the uh, emergency management director is the focal point, is the point of contact for MEMA, Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency. Everybody, they want to have that one person to be that point of contact for each municipality throughout the state. So that's what I, that's my primary role. Correct. Yeah. The central role. And clearly you've got a team and your team yeah. also coordinates with the other teams. I know Absolutely. when I talked with uh, yeah. the water and sewer superintendents, clearly they worked with you in regards to your ISO certification because of the water pressure, which clearly you need in order to do a firefight. Absolutely. They were 40 percent of that. Actually, they were a big part of that. And that's a perfect example. You're right. Yeah. Yep. And then going back in time, I think it was within the first six months you were here, there was a joint exercise with Bellingham and Franklin. And as representative with Franklin TV and radio, we got to do into that planning session, which ultimately culminated, in, I believe, in that final version of the hazard mitigation plan. 
That's right. That was completed in 2020. And that kind of looks at uh, where we're vulnerable, uh, looks at what the risks are out there and what we can do to uh, mitigate. You know, emergency management, there's four cycles, mitigation, preparation, response, recovery. I personally think mitigation is the most important because that prevents future problems and future costs that uh, the town would incur as well. So that mitigation, I thought, I, I know we spoke before, we worked with Bellingham, which I thought was really neat. I don't think that was done before, but you got to interact with the neighboring community. And now um, we've got a good document that's been there since 2020. And for the town, it enables us the ability of putting in for grants, uh, federal funding to do mitigation projects. And if you don't have an up-to-date plan, that kind of doesn't put you in a good position for those grants. So that's a good practical portion of that as well. So that was a win-win. Planning department did a great job with that. And it was a good, for me, just getting here just over about a year, less than a year, it was really beneficial for me to get to know the community and uh, the surrounding communities as well. So it was a, it was a, it was a good project for sure. Chief Ted, Ted here. Uh, my memory was, correct me if I'm wrong, was that the, the planning process that the town of Franklin went through in 2019-2020 was something that was under the guidance of the state that Franklin had a previous plan and that sometime in 2018, 2019, the state said, oh, it's useful to review the vulnerabilities of different towns, especially, can you, well, you, instead of having me describe it, what, what was the sort of state context for doing that plan in, in 2020? I don't know what the, how, what the previous date of that plan was, but I think they look at a timeline uh, for sure, that it might be considered outdated. A lot of changes have happened to the community. And they feel that it was due or overdue uh, uh -huh. to have that done. I'll use the comprehensive emergency management plan as an example. We're in the final stages of completing that now. Um, the last time that's been completed by the town was 2012. We were hoping to have it done before now, but um, there's a new leadership team. They just made the permanent uh, EMA, uh, MEMA director, the emergency management director of Massachusetts with the new governor. So they have a new leadership team. So we want to make sure before we... Uh, put this uh, new plan out to the uh, council for uh, approval that we're lined up with what their priorities are as well. But we're almost finished with that. And that's basically, that's an all-hazard approach to uh, anything that ha can happen to this community, whether it's a weather-related event or a man-made event. And not to get too in-depth, but th there's 16 emergency support functions, ESFs. And that's what's at the state EOC at their headquarters, we try to mirror our local EOC here in Franklin, which we have at fire headquarters with those same emergency operation functions, emergency support functions. So we're consistent with what we're doing with the state. And, um, you know, we everything's web based now. It's called Web EOC. We have all just, Chief, just let me interrupt. The EOC is the Emergency Operations Center, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what the acronym is. And you're mirroring a state Emergency yeah. Operations Center yeah. in Franklin, yeah. just to make sure everything is coordinated across yeah. all kinds of hazards. And now, of course, I'm fascinated by the climate sort of related stuff. Right. But I mean, you got right. a full spectrum right. of things to worry about, right? So, so we're able through uh, through a web to give them up to date status, uh, community status of what's going on. If there's any resources we need, we don't have to make the phone call. We simply make a resource request within there. This past mm -hmm. week, they wanted update status throughout the state of, of cooling centers. So two mm -hmm. days ago, we, we put in there that the library, that the senior center during business hours is open as a cooling center. If we have to go beyond that, 
we can update that with extra hours or extra days or what have you. But that's the kind of thing we share information with all the 351 cities and towns so everybody's on the same page using the same platform. Well, that, that's a great segue. I mean, so cooling centers, all of a sudden, you know, little light bulbs, light bulbs go off in my head, right? So, right. T- I mean, get hot, hot weather is kind of the hallmark of climate change kinds of stuff. And your, your planning basically comprehends that. It says, yeah, there's going to be hot days. Tell me, what is a cooling center? What's it supposed to do? Who gets to go? I mean, is there a swimming pool? Is there? No. <laughs> I mean, it, tell it, me, tell me what the cooling center is. Exactly what it's it's said. It's exactly what it is. A cooling center. If they don't have the ability of having um, air conditioning in their, in their own home, big thing we see is uh, charges when people lose electricity. Just the charges for their phones is like we have some uh, charging banks. Most people come just to use that. They need to charge their phone or the computer. Where are we today without that, right? Oh, yeah. I used this morning as an example. We had a uh, power outage off of Pond Street with 3,000 people uh, affected. Not for a long time. They got it isolated and got everybody back by 1.30 this afternoon. If that was a long-term outage for uh, 24 hours or 48 hours for whatever reason today with this weather, that would give us the ability or that might – we might have the need to open up a larger center or extending hours. You know, that's something I would coordinate with the town administrator and that staff. But if there was a press of heat and they had no electricity, that's why we want to be hand in hand with the grid. So I was on the phone with the grid today and just making sure we were coordinating that this wasn't going to be a long-term power mm-hmm. outage to affect those people. And then if there was, we'd have to go to plan B. And we have right. the ability here in Franklin Beyond the uh, senior center, beyond the library, we can even expand that to the high school if need be, depending on the volume of people or the hours. Or the hours. That's it's, it's fascinating stuff. Let me just drill down a little bit. If if going to a cooling center is a voluntary thing, right? If you if your house if you don't have AC or you need to charge something, you can go to the the cooling center. The question I have is: Have you thought about? Again, well, I know all these, everything's evolving, right? So, it, but I mean, it seems like if it's not too Orwellian, you'd like a list of all the people who are over 90 who might get exposed to heat so you can go check on them or at least encourage neighbors have a, you were talking about mitigation, right? How do we encourage neighbors to know who's at risk so they can get them to a cooling center on a hot day when the power goes out? I mean, is that, I mean, where are you guys with that? Part of that has a mitigation plan, and then it actually rolls into the uh, comprehensive emergency management plan, is identifying critical infrastructures that also identifies who are at risk of patients. If we know someone's on oxygen, portable oxygen at their at their home, we do have critical uh, residence lists that we do have. That's a good thing with doing those uh, those plans, uh, that not letting them get too outdated, is getting that new information. Because it changes. Yeah. People move. Uh, people are in uh, healthcare facilities, nursing homes, and no longer the case. We try to keep on top of that, but um, we also have that regroup notification system here. So if we had to put out an emergency notification system, we could have put out today to those 3,000 residents a messaging that's ge- by geography. Well, we could put out a message to those people that live in those streets. If you have an issue with the heat and, you know, contact us, then we can uh, let them know about where the cooling centers are and go from there. So we do have a mass notification system separate from the school. School department does their own thing when they deal with the weather. Throughout the uh-huh. But the town does offer that ability. We don't like to use it much because if some cities or towns use it, <laughs> but regular messaging, 
it loses that emergency. You know, yeah. we don't want people to get too comfortable with it, but when it comes <laughs> out, it's going to get everybody's attention. So um, you don't want to cry wolf too often. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. A couple of things to add to that, uh, Ted, for your benefit, as well as the listeners in case they're not aware, but uh, certainly in the chief's role as coordinator, and that's one of the key pieces that it's a central role, but it's a coordination role. I know from conversations with both the health department and the senior center, they maintain listings of those because they've been working with some of the elderly, especially right. delivering the vaccines recently. Some people mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. uh, immobilized. So I think, Chief, you actually had EMTs doing the delivery of the vaccines coordinated through uh, the health department and the senior center as they identified those lists. So they may not be perfect because clearly, you know, elderly people will, you know, pass yeah. on at some point, move, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But here is a starting point, at least. And Hopefully, through those regular communications, people will keep those up to date. Right. Well, and, and I think that, I mean, in some perfect world that you can dream about, and this is not part of a, a chief of your plan necessarily, <laughs> but it's like you want to build community. Right. You at the other end of all this, when we're all better off and everyone, you know, it's like you want tighter bonds between people because the community stronger. And so it's, in a sense, it's almost an opportunity to to get to learn your, you know, meet your neighbors and help out. Right? So it's a there's so many aspects to it that, that are and another really example that is when we did appointed distributions at the uh, at the high school. Basically, what we did was we mirrored the election process and everyone is familiar with the election process. We did, Steve, as you know, we did a couple of rounds of that for the first responders and for the residents and people were pretty comfortable. It wasn't, you know, they, they felt like they were going to cast a vote election day mm -hmm. they were going to get a vaccination. And it's really the school, whoever that they had great foresight, the people who were involved with the school committee, uh, building that new school, because they've got it basically set up where, you could use it as a long-term shelter with a generator and everything really to the left of the building. If you're looking at it from the main street, you have a, a kitchen area in the back. You have a loading dock. You have all those rooms over there, a separate entrance aside from the school. If school was in session, it was really ingenious how they had some foresight in thinking about uh, doing that. And uh, that pod, uh, you know, one good thing from COVID is it really gave us an, an opportunity to exercise that and it really, really worked out really well. It really did. So it's a, it was a good exercise for us. But hopefully we don't need it in the future, but uh, it was a good exercise. You know, yeah, that was one of the other pieces I was going to add to the extent that, yes, if people are not aware, the high school was indeed built specifically designed to be that disaster emergency resource center because it's got some additional structuring. It's got the additional infrastructure. It's got the generator, et cetera, as you mentioned. Um, and it's been tested. Which I think, as you referenced, now you can do a tabletop test on a specific instance, draw in the, those resources. So now people start going through as if it was happening. And additional things, you know, clearly things are happening all the time. Now, all of a sudden, oh, did we think about this? Oh, how do we get to those people? That's the purpose of a tabletop exercise so that when it does happen, hopefully not tomorrow, but when it does Everybody is a little bit more prepared so that the preparation, quickness of the delivery, execution just happens. So one of the questions that I have, Chief, is the, uh, I mean, I can list off as a short list of sort of climate related in quotation marks kinds of risks that we talk about, right? To my mind, they're sort of on a continuum of things that happen today, right? We have hot days before there was climate change, they're just a little bit hotter now, right? Uh, I mean, how? What are the what are the sort of 
climate-related sort of specific things that matter for Franklin. And I just, I mean, I was like, this. I'm sure there's flooding, right? There's hot days, stuff like that. What, 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 what is? Is there anything special about Franklin from the climate risk perspective that you look at and say we have to take care of this over and above all the stuff we do for everything else? Right. You know, it's funny. Like you, you watch the national news, you see out in the southwest or the south the extreme heat. You see the tornadoes in the Midwest. You see the uh, the flooding. It almost feels like uh, up to this point in my life that we're fortunate in New England that we really don't get a lot of what these other areas have. We have a member of this department who got activated. He's on the federal uh, team. He went to Vermont a couple of weeks ago. He got activated, you know, firefighter. The pictures, I'm sure you saw some of the pictures on the news or the coverage from that. Unreal what happened to Vermont with those floodings. I think as time is, I think the risk has always been there, but I think it's more prevalent now. I think it's more, it just seems like the days are getting harder. Um, like you, uh, smoke, the smoke in Quebec. I mean, this is unbelievable. Last week, it was like you, you couldn't, it, it was really bad around here mm-hmm. a couple of weeks or two ago. These are things that we didn't, well, I certainly didn't think of in this area, you know. Uh, I didn't, never thought Vermont could be affected that badly in a flood. Look right. at the heat that we're having now, the first week of July. And, um, you know, cooling centers, I think, have always been there and warming centers, but now it's like, we really got to be on our game. I, I think it's where it's just the way that it's going. It's we're just it's more apt to happen more so now than it was. I would say when I started my career 30, 35 years ago. Um, I saw I, I saw an article today somewhere. God knows where. But basically saying that you know the, the, all these changes have reached the point where people alive today can see the change within their own lifetime. Right. Yeah. T- ten years ago, we were talking about climate change as being something your ki- grandkids would would know about. But here we see this stuff. We're on a toboggan ride down the hill, and we see right. things happening in real time. Right. My twenty-six-year-old son. I asked him at the dinner table this week. What, what What's your opinion? What do you think about? Well, what can we do? Oh, really? <laughs> like, this is such a big problem. Is a twenty-six-year-old uh, son saying? Well, I, yeah, I know there's solar and people are doing things, solar, the wind and all that, but is it beyond that? Is, is, can we control it? That was the sense I got from him when I asked him the other day. Really? Can, can we really stop this from occurring or can we slow it down significantly enough? I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I guess old fogies like me have taken on the challenge to stop it so that the kids don't have to, right? No, they I, didn't screw it up. No, <laughs> it was awesome. Awesome. No, but I thought it was an interesting perspective that you know, it was almost like, is it beyond our control at this point? Yeah. Well, yeah. let's hope because I think we've touched on in a number of our episodes. It it yeah. gets so overwhelming. What can we do? Right. Yes. There because there's so much. Right. But I think even just stepping back a little bit, you've got at least on your page, on the fire department page, some just tools for Franklin residents so that their own emergency plan for their own household, their own house, if something happens, and it could be in, in the hot. In the summer, it could be a freeze, deep freeze in the winter. I mean, you you went through, and we all went through the that rash of the deep freeze that you know were bursting pipes all over. I think that was one of your busiest weeks. That's right. That's right. It, it's you know, it's a simple things. We we preach to uh, children. We go out to the schools. You know, a fire pre plan. You know, one of the biggest things in a fire pre plan is if God forbid there's a fire in the middle of the night, is every one of the family members going to go to one central location to meet? Because so many times we get there and everybody goes to our neighbors, the backyard, the side yard. We get there. 
Wait, so one of the big things is just to have pertinent contact information. What's the best contact person at work for your parents? What's the best out-of-state contact person? If it affects the whole neighborhood, where's a good neighborhood meeting spot? Where, where, do you have the policy numbers of your, your homeowner's insurance, your car insurance, your, 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 your pharmacy information, your medication? It's not a lot of information, but it's stuff that if when you really need it quickly, you don't have to go rummaging through drawers or that could be flooded out. It's it's just we, we propose that everyone has this little card that's in the family or at a, a residence or even at a workplace. There's a card that, God forbid, something happens that you've got this information right there um, that will be so helpful in the true emergency. And um, it's not a lot. It's just taking the time. And we always say, have the conversations. Just try to have a conversation at home for everybody. If there was a bad emergency, it was a bad flood, a gas leak, something happened in this house of fire, how are we going to react to that? And it's just specific information that's uh, not a lot, but it's uh, we find that a lot of people don't do it. They just don't do it. It's just... Um, I think a lot of it is it's not going to happen to me. It's just not going to happen to me. That's, that's, I mean, that's, a, you know, that, that scales, right? Because yeah. you think, oh, uh, you know, my house is never going to burn down, so right. I don't have to worry about this. Yeah. And everyone walks around saying, oh, climate change is not going to touch me. I don't have to worry about it too much. Uh, exactly. And it's coming for us all. Yeah. So, uh, Steve, I, 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 Gus Brown told me uh, since 2009, since mid-2019, there's been over 400 permits for solar panels in Franklin. I was just curious to find out what the number would be. That just goes back to then. That that seems like a lot to me. That's that that seems proactive for a community. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. And I know if I recall correctly, about a hundred of those came in from that solar Franklin challenge that they had. I forget yeah. exactly when it occurred, but there was yeah. a vendor came in, they had a specific pricing, et cetera, et cetera. And if we reached a certain level, then you got additional pricing. Right. If I recall correctly, there was about 100 just from that piece. And right. if there's 400, yeah, it, it certainly expanded beyond that. He says he's getting about four to five a week is the norm right now. That's what he said he's getting. So That's pretty good. Yeah, I think yeah. the town sets a good example with um, Mike D'Angelo with the all LED lighting. Yes. We're the windows at the municipal building, the electric cars. I think if the town sets that standard, that bar... It's it's good for the community to see that I think I think um, that's that's a uh, that's that's a good image it's a it's a it's good that the residents see that that the town's taking it very serious and maybe that'll trickle down uh, to the people that live here. Yeah, because there's always the um, you know show me first, folks. You know, so if we're doing it, oh, it can right. be done. It's not right. that hard. We've just right. done it. Why don't you? Then right. yeah, it just snowballs from there, literally. Yeah, I, you know, I I'm not it, so ISO. The electrical grid is an entity unto itself, right? It's a big thing. But, you know, when you say there are 400 solar panels in Franklin, which I believe, right? I see they're in my neighborhood. It's like if somehow, and this is my own pet worry, right? There's going to be so much demand for electricity to do everything in the next 10 years. If the power goes out, your car is dead, you can't cook, you can't heat your home. I mean, it's really, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really bad. And the question is, is there a way to sort of on an emergency basis, have those 400 solar panels all be in kind of a microgrid in Franklin, right? So that Franklin generates some of its own power. It can at least keep the, or maybe chief, let me ask you is if, if the grid went down, is the fire station 
does it have backup? It must have backup power. It's got its own generators. Are they are they green stuff? Or are they still uh, di- they're probably still diesel, right? That's the most yeah. practical thing. Yeah, yeah. diesel. Yeah. But I mean, so, it, it, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So this building, this building's an 08. I'm not making excuses. This is an 08. The other stations to 2000. That's a great point that you bring up. And <laughs> you talk about ISO New England. So Mass Maritime Academy approached us mid-July to see if any uh, they got a program with their seniors in the emergency management program to do a tabletop drill for certain communities. So we reached out to them and said we would love to do that. It was right after the first week in July when we had that heat stretch. And what we've identified is a good tabletop drill that we'd like to do this fall with those students. And then we could maybe do a full-scale exercise after is ISO New England, like you mentioned, they're responsible for distributing electricity through the six New England states. Working, if they had to uh, make a drastic reduction during a, a heat wave like we're having now, that's precisely the drill that we want to set up for a tabletop. Excellent. It's great that you mentioned this because that's the topic that came up when we met with the coordinator at the school. And I thought, what a great time to uh, work on something like this. So that's exactly what we got planned for. And uh, we're going to fantastic. We hopefully answer a lot of those questions. Uh, a lot of, your point about the 400 solar houses, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. No, I mean, I, as yeah. I say, I'm sure that's shrouded in regulation and yeah. very hard to do. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I think some of the solar, not solar, but the, like the geothermal pilots that we've been meant, discussed in prior episodes with Eversource and uh, National Grid, I think, in Framingham, um, the concept is there to try and do that kind of uh, neighborhood or, you know, off-grid, but its own entity type mm-hmm. uh, generation and then sharing amongst, et cetera, that longer term once that gets proved out then conceptually that could get you know we could build i don't know if franklin is even if it's divided into 10 we got you know 300 per or whatever (laughs) whatever the numbers we have some number of grid mini grids within to connect whatever the neighborhoods make sense and that 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 begs a question for me chief uh you, you have put together this nice plan okay we recognize the hazards you talked about mitigation I think, and I think you touched on it, is, is that making the plan allows you to begin to change things to get get the town ready. Mm-hmm. And my question is, how much of that has to go back through the city council and be approved and legitimately, I mean, you know, there are public policy issues. I mean, yeah, money allocated to doing things like, as you say, microgrids and hardening our infrastructure. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. is there a, who I guess needs to carry the torch to get that stuff done? Because you're you're an employee of the town that had to be citizens pushing to say, "Hey, look at this fantastic plan the chief has made. We right. need to follow this up, right? Yeah. Isn't that wouldn't that be the right direction to go? Yeah. If right, if, so, go ahead. Sorry, the council does approve the plans. The council mm-hmm. approves the plans. One of the uh, one of our biggest jobs. The, there's a lot of grant funding out there to exercise drills. And there's a lot of programs. And that's, like I said before, that has a mitigation plan. And it really enables the town to get that funding. So everything's funding, right? We'd like to exercise, but you can only do so much, too. And that's why I think this is a good point. We also want to do a hazmat drill, which is separate aside, mm-hmm. coordinating with the State Department of Fire Services to do a hazardous materials drill with technicians. Uh, our folks are all going to get... Uh, on uh, another uh, 24 hours of hazmat training this upcoming year in the fall, then we'd like to bring that together and maybe have a regional drill with the, uh, the hazmat team. 
And this is on the uh, the radar for us now, this next thing. But we're also always pursuing good things to enact. But in order to have a good functional exercise, we have to have a good tabletop set up. And these, we're going right. to use these students, these smart uh, seniors to help us formulate that because it's not reinventing the wheel. You know, it's like they're going to get that's going to be a great resource for us. But um, obviously, anything that we do, you, we run by the town administrator to make sure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is our priority. And um, if there's funding involved, obviously, uh, we have to go through that route as well. But the town manager, the, the town administrator, the council, when it comes to public safety, when it comes to anything preventative, um, they're extremely, extremely supportive of public safety, as is the town. The town's oh, extremely yeah. supportive of public safety. And that starts at the top with the uh, TA and the uh, town council. So um, we, it's our job to just help out, uh, offset those costs. Because it's out there. It's not going to come to you. We got to go out there and pursue that. And we do have a great team here, and we're going to be actively pursuing to do as many drills as we possibly can to be able to play. There's nothing like it's always good to have it on paper, but to really put it to work, it means a lot. It's that's 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 the difference, you know. Yeah, and I think the grants certainly will help for whether it's you know backpack air supplies or additional ah. generators or cleaners or equipment, et cetera. Those, those are nice kind of one-time pieces, clearly tools that you would use on a regular basis. Some of the funding, at least conceptually, I would think of is, okay, going back to what we talked about in terms of the cleaning centers. Well, you mentioned during business hours. So yes. if we did have an event that would go beyond the business hours, then okay, there's additional staffing that requires funding. So the town should build something in terms, even if it's a contingency piece mm -hmm. for somebody to man the library 24 hours, the man the senior center 24 hours mm -hmm. or work out some arrangement. Maybe it's, you know, fire staff, police staff, DPW staff, et cetera, something like that. Right. Um, that right. would be one piece that I don't believe it's in the budget today. <laughs> should be considered at some point in time. And you know, heaven forbid we get an incident that all of a sudden kind of like, ooh, we right. need to do something right. more than what we're already doing. I think we're right. prepared to a great deal. But right. yeah, the tabletops are just going to raise yeah. some issues. It yeah. Yeah. I, I, Steve, I, I just I want to divert the uh, conversation to mix a metaphor here a little bit. Chief, you may not be you're probably not a hydrologist, right? So I don't want to put you on the spot to talk about flooding, right? But how, from your, from the perspective of the plan, is flooding in Franklin, I mean, we just talked about Vermont, right? Where you would not expect flooding, right? Are there places in Franklin that, that we worry about flooding? Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and it's going to be, there. I, I, there is, and it is addressed in the plan. It is addressed, uh -huh. the flooding is, in it. and the big thing with flooding, obviously, is evacuation, right? Evacuation is critical. Evacuation routes and then shelter. Shelter. Now, if you wipe out resident, uh, there's certain areas that are very low lying areas here, and um, mm -hmm. and then also we want to protect those uh, critical infrastructures that we, uh, are all listed. That has a mitigation plan. It's up to date. Um, flooding is uh, is is probably the most you know I, not to say we can't get a tornado. We certainly could, but to me, I look at that as our biggest risk. Mm -hmm. um, I was I was um, I wasn't here, but I was in Rhode Island during the 2010 floods, and that really, I wiped out a sewer treatment plant right along 95. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and nobody even considered that back in the day. And, right. and, uh, right. and a lot of, there was a lot of learning, a lot of coordination with mass transit that wasn't in place. 
And uh, that's the type of things that we're addressing now is, you know, good evacuation routes, identifying those low-lying areas, those trouble areas. And mm-hmm. then uh, working with DPW, uh, doing some mitigation measures in those uh, hotspots to prevent, uh, if we know that's a problem spot, is there something we can do with uh, some uh, funding through mitigation grants uh, to prevent something uh, from catastrophic happening. But, but there's definitely low light. There's definitely a uh, problem areas here for sure. No question. I, I mean, I think it ties back to Steve, you and I had a, uh, a conversation with the, the, uh, and it, so this comes, comes around to my thing about, we've got, a, we've got this plan. It suggests we need to put, if flooding is a big risk, it suggests we need to protect the watershed areas, right? And not put houses on them, right? Mm-hmm. And so although this big ball of wax comes around and the question is, it's all, that kind of stuff is only going to happen with particip- citizen particip- participation to say, look, we need to protect the wetlands so that we don't get floods. And that's a, you know, that's the, kind of, for me, one of the sort of long-term take-home lessons of doing the kind of hazard planning because you you yeah. blink and say, oh, yeah, look, there's a there's a place where something bad could happen, but we can do something about it. Yeah, and uh, as an example, um, had a recent conversation. It was a three-part series with our sewer superintendent and su- uh, assistant superintendent and uh, Salem Circle, which is along the Charles River area. Mm-hmm. They just redid a pump station or a lift station, technically, because mm-hmm. a lift is for sewer, a pump is for water. Uh, I learned that along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Salem Circle, they just redid that. And clearly, that's within 100 yards, 200 yards of the trials along that. That's one of those low-lying areas. So that would be another one that would be a challenge. Mm-hmm. At one point, they had also considered elevating it. But again, trying to elevate that because it's also gravity-fed, it was just getting too complicated because then you'd have to condition it for the other cold weather, <laughs> never mind avoiding a flood, et cetera. So yeah, there are some things that are going to be practical, some things that are just not going to be. And then that's where the evacuation, the the routes, the safe place for people to gather, et cetera, until right. the waters recede and we, we we can go forward. Yeah. Yeah. And we 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 do get just so listeners know, we do have and Steve, I know you know. At least twice a year, we get together as a group. We we do we do late late August, right before the school season, to respect the school department's time. And then we try to do something in late spring. But we get together. All the department heads get together within the town. But we also reach out to our stakeholders. You know, Eversource, National Grid, Verizon, Dean College. We reach out there. We get a group of up to forty five people now. And our next meeting is coming up in a few weeks uh, at MEMA over. We got MEMA now over on Forge, and we 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 we've been we getting a lot of compliments for doing that because not many towns are doing it. But I instead of just associating with a name, a number, or um, you get to put a, a a face to a name, and we're establishing good relationships. And I think that's important. It's good. It's important to get together. Update contact information, you know, talk both formally at the meeting and then informally after, get our contact information. So when something happens last minute, and we talk a lot about weather events, but we could have something, nothing to do with the weather that can happen overnight, a gas incident, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. We stand up the EOC here at Franklin headquarters and ask those everyone our representative to be here. And you don't want to do that for the first time. And I, <laughs> I, I to me personally, preparation for emergency management. It starts with establishing good, solid relationships with all of the stakeholders, both within the town and outside the town. And I'm, I'm, I think we've, you know, Steve, I mentioned to you with uh, 
with yourself and also with Franklin TV, with uh, Pete. We need to do, I think, a better job now of doing that messaging. If something catastrophic did happen here or not so catastrophic, that we're making sure we're doing the best to get the messaging out to everybody uh, to keep them up to date. That's one of the uh, things we want to target for our next meeting on August 24th. So I just want to throw that in there. We do it. We get together. We work great in the town. This town, all the departments work unbelievable together, starting from the town, the department heads down. But I think incorporating those other people involved is has really worked out. It makes a difference. I truly think it makes it. If we have a, a, a electricity goes out, which is the most common thing to happen, we have a national grid representative right here with me with the laptop. So I can just be, he, he's got his network right here and we get through it together. And because the complaints that come in when people lose power, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> people just don't understand that if their power is out on their house, but the house across the street is on that there's something wrong, but that's not the way the electrical grids work. It doesn't go by streets and addresses. It's just a, it's a, it's just a lack of information, but it can get fairly frustrating. But we have a great relationship with grid and they do that. Today's a perfect example. They got all those people back in um, a quick fashion, quick fashion. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that at least this kind of format, and we've touched on it in one of the other episodes is yeah. drawing, not drawing a blank at the moment, but yeah. the grid was designed and specifically with national grid in mind designed to build in some redundancy so that they could do to your point you mentioned the term isolation so they isolated that were able to reroute and right. you know provide electricity on or while they're working on the device right? Right, right so or in this case the tree that knocked down the device whatever so right there there that's a level of detail that we don't necessarily need to get to all the time but when we have the opportunity, that's a level of the, oh, there's a reason why that's there. They're across the street. They're in a different set. So, and even if it does, you know, have, reinforcing one of our points we said before, you get to know your neighbor. Well, if you don't have power, but they do across the street, guess what? Go say, hey, I'll bring this over. Can we do this and have a party in the meantime? Right? Exactly right. That's exactly. You don't need to go to a shelter if the person across the street from you is 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 live. Is live. Like today, they went from three thousand affected to about seven hundred affected within fifteen minutes. Then right. it was like another hour and a half, two hours to get those other people up. But to your point, they lessen the impact as quickly as possible to do their work, and it's 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 education. It's education. Yeah. Yeah, and related to that specifically because it's a tree. I know our tree warden, uh, no. DPW director Brutus Kandaregi. He's coordinated with National Grid as well for all the the power lines to do the trimming back. And we just got a notification that National Grid's contract is going to be out doing some of the tree trimming, which should alleviate some of those things. Granted, if an entire tree falls, okay, that's still going to happen. But at least the loose branches, the the dying ones, if not dead ones, (laughs) they get all trimmed back and it makes it a little bit easier. They have to keep a three-foot buffer. That's what they have to maintain off the wires. Uh, so right. that's what they do. You know, right. right. And trees want to do what they do. They're going to grow, right? <laughs> and then there's some residents that don't want the tree touched, too. <laughs> well, and, you know, shade is important, especially yeah. in the heat, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, it's so, I mean, it's like a ton of money. But what I think what you want to do is bury all those lines, right? Well, you know, so you don't have to be, of course, Who's got that kind of money? But uh, right. th- th- that that is a more resilient, long term, fifty year from now solution. When uh, when uh, instead of having power lines running on old wooden poles, and we mm-hmm. have them all buried. Anyway, yes. right. Except for if you were near the floodplain, then they might get flooded, uh, and you still be uh, at risk, et cetera. But. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
there's no, there's no perfect world, which is why we're trying to make sense of it. Right. <laughs> and the key piece, I think, to reinforce as we kind of summarize and kind of bring this to a close, there is planning. It's executed on a regular basis, if not cyclical. So you did the hazard plan a few years ago. Now you're bringing together the comprehensive. comprehensive. There'll be some other iterations, other cycles. And as you go through the tabletops, some other things will arise and heaven forbid, but some other current event will say, oh, maybe we could do something better here, et cetera. So yeah. thank you for sharing with us. So now we know a little bit more about in addition to you wearing your fire cap, you, you've got this other stuff going on that, oh, by the way, also helps us. With my haircut, Steve, it's nice to have multiple caps. Yes. And for the listeners, obviously, you're listening to this. You can't see him, but you can imagine. <laughs> And Ted, thank you for adding to this conversation. Well, it's always I, a pleasure. I, I, I was, it's a lifelong dream to have a conversation with a fire chief. So this has yeah. been a wonderful moment for me, Jim. And I hope I, really, I didn't disappoint you. <laughs> no, you, it, and it, it's really reassuring that you seem so aware and committed to dealing with the, sort of the the climate aspects of the, the evolving nature of the threats the town faces. And that's a great thing. So I want to thank you for that. It's important stuff for sure. And it's a, it's a good group coordinated effort for sure. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope the listeners do. Uh, we'll include the links that we talked about in the show notes. And a quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.